0: Today is Monday, January 11th. The title for our devotional is Structure and Context. Before we dive into the oft-quoted Romans 13, let's pause and take a moment to explore the overall context of the passage. Remember, everything from chapter 12 through 15:13 is discussing what it looks like to quote, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and to, quote, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is based on God's mercies, which Paul has discussed at length in the previous 11 chapters, primarily chapters 9 through 11. As we saw last week, living as a sacrifice to God means living humbly in community with one another and the broader community around us. Really, from 12.3 to 13.10 is all one section where Paul is articulating how a Christian should think and behave in community with one another, that is, the church, as well as in the larger community, that is, Rome. This is where the chapter divisions in our Bible can be unhelpful. Beginning with, bless those who persecute you, in 1214 and extending to 1310, Paul seems to be primarily concerned with how the Jesus community, or should say house churches, in Rome interact with the broader community of Rome. So Romans 13:1 through seven, which is the longest and most specific teaching in the New Testament on how Christians ought to interact with the state, is not an isolated thesis on the church's relationship to the state, it is in the broader context of how Christians should interact with the culture they live in, which is characterized by peacemaking and love. With this in mind, let's read Romans 12:14 through 13:10. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice; weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor. As yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. For additional content today, I'm going to read a portion of Scott McKnight's book called Reading Romans Backwards. It's a bit lengthy, but I think it'll really help us set the context for this passage. He says two readings of this passage dominate Christian discussion. The first is a conservative approach that affirms divine providence in governments, including Rome, in the early reign of Nero. But often this conservative approach attempts to contextualize the passage. That is, our passage is about Nero's early years, about a marginal number of Christians, perhaps a hundred, and about the strong learning to embrace the weak. It is not about 21st century American political engagement or Hitler's Germany or Stalin's Soviets or Afghani or North Korean or Iranian or Iraqi leaders oppressing Christians. The conservative contextualizers continue. Paul is exhorting the hotheads of Rome not to turn to resistance or revolution out of enthusiasm over Jesus as Lord, the kingdom's presence, or the Spirit's power to overcome. Or perhaps Paul is simply offering a cooler-headed, pragmatic, and psychologically subtle approach to difficult days for the churches in Rome. Or perhaps Paul has mission uppermost in his mind. If we get out of hand, he is saying the churches will be extinguished. What we have gained will be eradicated, and the Lord will be shamed in public, so stay out of trouble, keep your heads down, be good citizens. But many conservative approaches fail to read our passage in light of what precedes and what follows. Others, taking a second approach, think Paul's words are at least suggestive of revolution. Though words like, subject to the governing authorities can give an impression of endorsing all governments, the New Testament itself, and Paul's life, do not conform, confirm such an approach. Inherent to the Bible's story and to Judaism's story is a routine respect for government as part of God's own providential sovereignty over all creation and all authorities. Yes, Jews were nonetheless unafraid of withering critique of paganism's idolatries and authorities. And therefore, they lived out the necessity of sub- of subverting false gods and unjust rulers. This at times was accompanied by a refusal to obey pagan leaders when they required disobedience to the Torah. That refusal was punctuated with memories of suffering for obeying God. For Paul, inherent to this very common Jewish story is a denial of the zealotry option and instead the explicit conscious intention to strike back with the blessings of love and peacemaking. This is one instance of what he calls Christoformity. One can see this larger posture towards pagan authorities in the New Testament from Jesus to Revelation. In the Old Testament, read Daniel. Subjection, we contend, expresses Paul's four strategies of blessing, empathizing, peacemaking, and love. Of these four, peacemaking is at the fore. One might instead call the subjection of 13, 1 through 7 a fifth strategy. The zealotry temptation of the weak is why Paul appeals to the strategy of non-vengeance as the Christiform way of life. In such a context, subjection, and the divine ordering of government can be both affirmed and not sanctioned. There are too many times when the divine ordering of government is corrupted by evil people. Rulers, Paul is saying, are designed by God to be God's servants, and so are to do good and to establish justice, which is not to say they always do. Paul says it is the God of the Bible, not the Roman gods and the emperors, who ordain government. Above the Roman governing authorities, then, are not the gods of Rome, but the God of the crucified, raised, and ruling Messiah, King Jesus. Paying taxes, like subjection to the governing authorities, is a second expression of the fifth strategy. Here, Paul asks the weak, some of whom, as recently arrived immigrants, were suffering under the increased burdens of taxation, to baptize their economic condition into Christiformity, and to pay taxes for the sake of the gospel and the safety of the churches in Rome. The suggestion then is that Paul's strategy is pragmatic but in an entirely new Christiform key. Some of these believers know the way of violence and retaliation. They have seen it at work for liberation in the days of the Maccabees. But Paul knows the way of the cross. The followers of Jesus in Rome are to pay taxes and submit to those dedicated authorities as a way of blessing, peacemaking, and loving one's enemies into neighbors. For reflection today, do you have a tendency to divorce your political engagement from your Christian living? How much does your Christian principles play into into your engagement in politics? Do you treat people with opposing political views with the principles Paul calls us to here? Blessing, not taking revenge, and Christian love. Commit to living out these principles in all areas of your life, including the political and public sphere.